Okay, take it away, Sluggo. Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back with the 124th, count them, 124 Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom calls, otherwise known as the GREEP or the GREE-GREE. We have a full agenda as always. I want to welcome my listeners, at, our listeners at the Progressive Radio Network at the GRN in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, all you live streaming on, on YouTube. It's great to have you with us. Uh, for those of you who have video, you can see them at the beach. Uh, we've got 30 people with us to start from all over the United States uh, and sometimes from Great Britain as well. Um, <clears throat> we have a very, very full agenda day, today. We're going to start talking, uh, of course, this being America, we're going to start talking about pro football and the, uh, the two games that um, <clears throat> occurred uh, yesterday, Sunday, uh, the, between the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Kansas City Chiefs. The reason we're going to do it, among other things, is <clears throat> there was a major, major incident at the uh, San Francisco game that we have talked about before. And uh, I'm on with uh, a fellow football fan, uh, uh, Tatanka Bricka. Many of you others may, a lot of you hate football and for good reasons. And I, I, we do want to discuss that. I will have a piece tomorrow at Reader Supported News about it. Uh, that we can link to. So we're going to start with that. Then we're going to go into Florida and the turmoil in Florida, the insanity uh, with the uh, a fascist governor who's getting worse and worse. And they're basically burning books there as they are in Texas. And um, also we're going to talk uh, about with Lenny Lederman about uh, how the organization of the uh, opposition uh, or lack thereof is going in Florida. It appears at this point, since Donald Trump seems to be serious about running for president again, that both uh, major candidates for the Republican nomination will be from Florida, <clears throat> Trump and, and Ron DeSantis. So we have a lot to talk about uh, uh, coming out of Florida. We're also going to talk about Peru. Uh, there's virtually no coverage of uh, the huge uprising that's going on in Peru. Uh, there's a Rolling Stone piece out now by Josh Fox, who has been on our calls, <clears throat> saying basically that more than 50 people have been killed in Peru um, in, in, in the wake of the um, overthrow of the progressive president there. Uh, we want to talk about the, the battle over the forest in Atlanta, <clears throat> where um, a kid has already been killed, an activist. And um, there's a, a major trial in Ohio. You couldn't make this one up. The $61 million bribe. Uh, was used to buy the Ohio legislature to bail out their nuclear plant there. And so we'll deal with that either in the first or second hour. Uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk about huge um, uh, developments in the licensing of the nuclear plant at Diablo Canyon, San Luis Obispo, which is actually going to carry over to the whole industry. Uh, it's a very, very big deal. Could be a major turning point, actually, in the history of energy and of nuclear power in this country, um, um, uh, issues both in, in California and in Michigan, uh, where similar issues are, are being uh, dealt with. And we're also going to talk about <clears throat> what may be the most important technological breakthrough in uh, alternative energy going on now, which is the potential switch of uh, battery technologies from lithium, which is very problematic both financially and ecologically uh, over to sodium, which is a, a, a cheap 
and readily available and not environmentally destructive, certainly not compared to lithium. So we've got a very, very full agenda as always. Uh, there you go, Steve has helpfully put up the uh, uh, a new um, EV electric vehicle with a 641 mile uh, range, which is pretty amazing. So we'll talk about that in the second hour. Uh, thanks for that, Steve. Uh, we are engineered today by Mike Hirsch, um, uh, courtesy of the Progressive Democrats of America. We're using their Zoom link, although I'm going to give you a heads up. We will be switching Zoom links um, at, toward the end of February, and we also not be meeting on the weekend of uh, President's Day, which I believe is February 20th, um, which uh, uh, February 22nd used to be the birthday of George Washington, but <laughs> we've, we've changed that now, but we will be off that Monday. So at any rate, it's great to see everybody. We've got 40 people with us and we have a full agenda. We are going to start talking about football. Uh, uh, some of you may be fans, some of you may hate the game, but the bottom line is that we saw, we have advocated, we are the first to advocate that the National Football League go to flag football. Uh, you know, uh, for those of you who don't follow it, um, um, the, the the sport as it's currently structured, people uh, uh, beat the hell out of each other, and and uh, the the person who happens to have the ball is brutally tackled. Now, you know, okay, that's the nature of the game. We know now that the CTE. There you go. That was my original article, Counterpunch. I'm going to have another one at um, tomorrow at Reader Supported News, RSN.org, talking about what happened. This weekend, what happened this weekend was actually earth shattering because you had a full season, 16, 17 games, billions of dollars involved in the, in, the, in the game of pro football. The NFL is one of the most profitable public operations in the country, in the history of the country at, at that. And you had a full season wrapped up with the San Francisco 49ers. He had a young quarterback, came out of nowhere. He's, 23 years old, for God's sakes. And the, the Niners came up, um, and I know Tatanka is a big Niners fan, and, and um, uh, uh, John Steiner is with us, another uh, football fan of the Bengals, being a Cincinnati boy. So um, uh, the, the Niners come up to play the Eagles. And football, uh, pro or otherwise, is a very quarterback-centric game. You, you, 90% of your outcome, Generally, there are exceptions, but 90% of your outcome in a pro football game is dependent on the quarterback. So the whole world is watching. They, they convene in Philadelphia. The Niners are there. They've got this young kid who came out of nowhere, Brock Purdy. And really, nobody expected him to do what he did. He, he was single-handed. Well, not single-handedly. Niners had a pretty good team otherwise. But he took the, uh, the Niners all the way into the championship game. And five minutes into the first quarter, He's injured. He a, a perfectly legal hit. He's hit. He's throwing the ball. The guy hits him in the shoulder and destroys his elbow. So the kid can't pass. And suddenly, the game, which was 7-0 at the time uh, in favor of the Eagles, but the, the Niners were driving. Suddenly, the game is 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 moot. Uh, the they put in a backup quarterback who's 36 years old, does nothing. And then he has a concussion and they got to take the backup quarterback out of the game and put this poor kid, Brock Purdy, back in the game and he can't throw. And so the game becomes completely unwatchable. 
billions of dollars invested in this. So we have advocated on this Zoom call, and I, my articles um, have advocated that they go to flag football, which is the quarterback, and then all of them have a flag stuck in the back of their pants. And instead of tackling the quarterback they or, or the ball carrier, they pull the flag out. Now, to many of you, this might sound ridiculous uh, or even to discuss it, but it's actually a multi-billion dollar issue and it cuts to the core of American culture. Because if you have the, the number one most popular game in the country, you have guys who are being, and it's all guys, by the way, uh, there's never been a woman in the NFL, though they probably could have a kicker at this point. But nonetheless, uh, if you have the, 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 the marquee sport in your culture, where, where guys are getting slammed and where a, an entire game, an entire season can go out the window based on one tackle, which happened yesterday, then something's got to change. So we are advocating, and I am going to tell you right now, you were hearing this first, I, within 10 years or less, the quarterbacks in the NFL will have flags and it will become illegal to hit a quarterback behind the line of scrimmage for many reasons, of, of men, most of them humane, but the other one is that the, the NFL owners have multi, multi-million dollar investments in these quarterbacks. The quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, who's barely 30 years old, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's, he's a great ball player, seems like a nice kid, actually. They are paying him, are you ready for this? His contract for 10 years of playing with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs is $450 million. I'll, I'll repeat that. They're paying the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs $450 million. If he gets hurt, they're, they're out. They're not, there's nothing. Uh, Tatanka, you are in mourning um, uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. You saw the whole season go out the window with a single hit. Uh, do you want to comment on this real quick? We will yeah. get to the issues, but for those of you who hate sports, but I consider this actually to be quite significant in our culture. Uh, and then I'll go to John Steiner. Uh, to First of all, one, one, one edit, Harvey. That's a great intro. I don't mourn. I organize. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have a little distance on the game. I actually went 10 years in the 70s, loved Stanford football too, and just refused to watch a game, either, either college or pro, just to wean myself of it. But it's in my DNA. And so... Um, yeah, this is something. I mean, also, the third quarterback was also unable to come in for the Niners because he was previously injured. They started with their the guy was going to be the star. He's knocked out for the season. Then they start the uh, a second guy. He gets knocked out. And then Brock Purdy, this young guy, comes out and he gets knocked out. So I think it's a really um, it's a fascinating, important idea because I think it's going to stir up some it's going to stir up some conversation. And uh, Stephen A., there's a number of people who comment on football. I like Stephen A. And when they interviewed him, there were guys gloating on the other side who, you know, who who liked, uh, who, who won the game. And they're expecting him to offer some sort of fight or resistance. And he said, I'm just, just overwhelming sadness because the buildup to the game, we were going to look at a game, a competitive game. As it was, it was all over once he was hit. And that that's the that's the sentiment. But even then, the concept of some kind of alternative for the quarterback has not hit. So there's nowhere to go with it. It's just like 
and the and the 49er players are saying that's it that's life you know that's life in the NFL you know the average the average the average duration of a career in the NFL is 5 years because of injury right and the injury rate for a, a, a guy entering the NFL the expectancy of being except for the kickers the expectancy of being seriously injured is 100% nobody enters the NFL, has a career, and comes out the end, other end, without having been seriously injured, including the marquee quarterbacks, both um, Tom Brady, who's now 45, and uh, Aaron Rodgers, who's 39. They've both been seriously injured. Aaron Rodgers is being paid a quarter of a million dollars. Tom Brady, got, God knows what they pay him. So it, it's in the action in the interest of the owners, I believe, to do this. I do also want to mention Colin Kaepernick, by the way. Colin Kaepernick was the 49ers quarterback. And then they, you know, they they basically banned him from football for the brilliant move of kneeling during the uh the Star Spangled Banner, which is one of the worst songs in the history of the world. I'm sorry, but you know, a national anthem that bad, uh they, they should be ashamed. Uh they should get uh, the, the except when Jimi Hendrix played it. The national anthem is only cool uh when Jimi Hendrix played it, and he didn't play the words. And I got to tell you, this was a great, great story. We, I love tangents. But um, after Jimi Hendrix was discovered playing, after they heard how Jimi Hendrix played the national anthem in the film about Woodstock, there was a congressional hearing. They were so p- angry about how he played the Star Spangled Banner. They had a congressional hearing. And after the hearing, a filmmaker interviewed the congressman who were so angry about Jimi Hendrix's version of Star Spangled Banner. And they asked these guys to recite the words to the Star Spangled Banner, and none of them could do it. So uh, so Colin Kaepernick could have been on the bench for the San Francisco 49ers. He could have been the backup quarterback. He has had a tremendous career as, a, as an activist. I'd love to have Colin Kaepernick talk to us. His politics are spectacular, and he has made a real difference in this world. And the Niners would not, if he had been on the bench and come in there, it would have been an incredible moment in American history. But there you go. They missed that too. Uh, John Steiner, did you want to jump in? Yeah, just just so you know, Harvey, during the Pro Bowl weekend, there is going to be a flag football game among NFL players. Right. So it's moving in that direction. I would have a lot to say about the Bengals game, but I'm not sure that our audience is as rapid football fans as we are. So I'm going to give us a pass, but you and I have an offline conversation coming up. Yes, yes. Well, I, I will say this. The young, very young quarterback, he would say he's 12 years old, this quarterback, Joe Burrow. He's from Southern Ohio. He is outspokenly pro-choice. Yep. And uh, we have had some interesting situations with the politics of football stars. I mentioned Kaepernick. Aaron Rodgers, the legendary, I think he's actually – the best quarterback or has been the best quarterback in the NFL. Not anymore, but Harvey, uh, uh, he, I have he, a, yeah, go ahead. I, I have a suggestion for a, a guest on this show. Yeah. We, we could combine a discussion about Diablo Canyon and a discussion about professional football. And we get either one of the four women, but get Jane Fonda or Lily Tomlin oh, yeah. or, Sal, or Sally Fields or Rita Moreno. And or, you know, and they could bring on Tom Brady, whom they love. I mean, you're probably all aware that this film is going to open in a few days, but it's 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 a 
it's a film based on older women in New England who are big Tom Brady fans. So they based this film on it. And it's just hilarious with those. But that would be really, uh, you know, it's possible. We could get Jane to come talk about Diablo Canyon and football. And Tom yeah. Brady could, and Tom Brady could talk about how much he loves Trump. Oh, yeah, that, right. <laughs> well, that, 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 that almost broke up his marriage earlier. His, his wife, Tom Brady, Tom Brady's wife, by the way, for those of you who are so potent, is the, wait, wait a minute, Harvey. How many rabbit holes did he go down as an introduction to one of well, these? This, this is political because when Tom Brady was out there supporting Donald Trump, his wife, Giselle Bunchen, the supermodel, shut him up right away. It was a big, it was a big national yuck. Here you have the greatest quarterback in history supporting the president and his wife comes down and puts the hammer on him and his wife is the only was the only nfl wife who made more money than her husband did but at, at any rate uh, we're, go, we're really going off the deep end here but i did want to mention that aaron Rodgers, the uh, um quarterback for the green bay packers it's a great great quarterback um very openly attacked the right wing governor of wisconsin scott walker it was a complete moron, and and um, and Rogers attacking. And later, <laughs> this past year in the off season, Aaron Rodgers took ayahuasca, and was very public about it. And so we are asking, we are hoping that maybe he'll convene a giant ayahuasca ceremony in uh, in uh, Lambeau Field. That will be really exciting. I also want to point out for people who are unaware that you have some of the most honest conversation about racism among, among sports broadcasters on Stephen A's show. They had three African-Americans talking about this latest murder that's all been, you know, was caught by a film by a camera across the street. And he basically laid it all out and, and what the cover up for the police was. And he says, all oh, these five men were all African-American. So it's not about you know, what it's about now is blue. It's about the police department. It's about systemic racism in police departments throughout the country. So this conversation is happening on sports TV. Well, one, one of the reasons some of us lefties love sports is because it is so political. I mean, the NBA has long been a majority of black uh, ball players, and so is the NFL. And the, these guys, you know, Jim Brown has been very political through his career. <laughs> he did show up in the White House with Kanye West at, at, with Donald Trump. It's weird, but, you know, nonetheless, uh, so it is very political. Dennis Bernstein is on with us. Dennis, if you'll unmute you. Dennis is the host of the KPFA uh, show, uh, Flashpoints, in, uh, in uh, the Bay Area, uh, available on the Pacifica Network. Uh, uh, Dennis, I know... Uh, you you may or may not be a big 49ers fan. We're going to talk about it on your show soon. But, uh, and I do have an article tomorrow at Reader Supported News. But go ahead, Dennis. Dennis, well, uh, I'm, I'm not a, a football fan tackle. I you, love were a, you were a champion gymnast. So I played, and I, and I played football, a little football and stuff. But um, I just wanted to throw this in. I have heard, and I, I don't rem I didn't take notes. But I've heard on more than one occasion, people beginning to broach, putting back the guy, I'm blanking on his name, who got almost died on the field. Oh, oh yeah. No Damar, Damar Hamlin. He's getting better so much faster that literally I'm hearing some folks, and this, of course, is about the nature of economy. I'm hearing people say, well, maybe he could play again. But I'm just thinking, if he does play on the field, and he dies on the field, 
that might be move us along, or maybe not. But well, they, it's still in the discussion. People say, you know, he's he's unbelievable how fast he recovered. Yeah, but he's got a heart condition, for God's sakes. And you know, if they if he dies on the field, they'll probably feed him to the lions. Uh, my friend, uh, Lisa Matras has just commented on the 49ers game. I know she lives in in San Francisco, and one is is one of the, to tell you about sports. My friend Lisa, I hope you don't mind Lisa, but she grew up in Chicago, and when the uh, when the Cubs won the World Series, she and her sister Susan flew back to Chicago to participate in the rally. That honoring the Chicago Cubs. And Liz is one of the most political people I know. I thought that was so great, Liz. It must have been really fun. You're welcome to comment if you want. Uh, we will certainly just raise your hand. But um, uh, there's no, to me, uh, there's never been a boundary between sports and politics, uh, I, especially in the United States today. Go ahead, Dennis. I just, here's one sports story because sports are crucial and I love sports. And I love people to survive them. But my sports and my politics sort of came together at the same time. In 1966, 67, I won the New York State High School Gymnastic Championship. And the person who, who was at the meet to give out the trophies was an, a guy by the name of Robert Kennedy. Oh, my God. He was running for Senate in New York. And this is how my political career started. Can you imagine? He gave me the trophy. We have the picture. And then how much time after that was he dead? He was That's assassinated shortly after that in my whole life. I couldn't even begin to understand why anybody would do this. So that's sort of where sports and uh, politics began. Well, I actually, I actually met uh, uh, Tommy, uh, Juan Carlos or Tommy uh, Smith. I can't remember the, the two guys who um, raised their fists at Mexico City. Talk about the confluence of sports. And then, of course, there was Muhammad Ali, who, I mean, you go back and read what Muhammad Ali was saying about the Vietnam War. Right. No one was clearer about the intersection of politics, race, and sports than Muhammad Ali. I mean, that was, that was a mind-bending. Uh, conjunction there, really, really important. And Colin Kaepernick, I have to say, reach out to him again. I mean, he, he his career, he, he was not some, you know, one trick pony here. He, he knelt for the, for the national anthem. They kicked him out of the NFL. If he'd have been on the bench at San Francisco, he could have totally changed that game. He should have been. He's a great runner, Colin Kaepernick. Um, but he has had a magnificent career as an activist. I mean, he is very, very smart and has really made the most of his celebrity. So, um, right. uh, Lisa, if you want to tell us about the, the Cubs rally in Chicago, we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, you can unmute if you want. There you go. Yes, Lisa. Um, it was one of the highlights of my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Chicago, following the Chicago Cubs. I mean, hard. we had waited through my grandparents and my parents' lives for this moment. You know, it was almost as exciting, but probably more exciting than when the Red Sox won. Yes. And that was fabulous, too. So I think 
given the way things are right now, um, sports takes my attention away from things that are just really sad and terrible. And uh, I think it does that for a lot of people, political or not. So Chicago was a highlight. Let's put it that way. Well, you have the, you have the um, uh, honor of being married to a Red Sox fan. So between the Cubs and the Red Sox, you guys would have a, a pretty good run. <laughs> Th this was a good century, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, thank you, Wes. It's always great to see you. Um, Mary and then Justin, and then we're going to move on. But uh, I'm glad for this discussion. Uh, it, it's really fun and very important. Go ahead, Mary. Mary Stonewall. Okay, um, number John one. Brakey, John Brakey, it's good to see you. We do want to talk about this ballot situation in, uh, in Arizona in a couple minutes. Go ahead, Mary. Okay, number one, um, the big thing with uh, um, football, um, I seen it with the Seattle Seahawks and other places, is football players that have been retired. Mary. Didn't have money to pay for all the uh, head trauma and body trauma that they have. So, and they 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 were trying to sue uh, Seattle Seahawks for damages and had no ground to stand on because they didn't put money aside for future uh, health problems. Where I think uh, the NFL needs to that anybody that belongs to the NFL should have free lifetime medical. Period. Absolutely. And then uh, when it comes to our Buffalo Bill guy, um, he did receive the vaccine and that the. Uh... Yes, the, uh, uh, Mary, the vaccine issue uh, did come out. A lot of people are saying that he had the health problem because of the vaccine. We don't know that for sure, but it's a, it's an interesting discussion. And uh, then we'll go to Justin and then I, Dorothy Reich, if I know, is a really huge football fan. Uh, go ahead, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Justin. So all of this comes down to the American mythos, right? It's pretty much entirely based on performance art. We take big risks and we get big rewards. The problem with that is we don't have very good risk assessment. So all the way down the economy, even to the banks, when people screw up, we bail them out. But, you know, that's what insurance is actually a system designed to do, right? To make that risk assessment and pay back when something goes wrong. But, you know, for sports players, they don't have like baseline performance testing before they get into the game. So they, what happens often is there's even racism in that. Those who are black get paid less than those who are white because they are assumed to have been less performant to start with in terms of their brain performance or anything else. Okay. So really, this comes down to an idea of you know, valuing people from the start, from cradle to grave, that we actually give people good measurements good to measure. know what they're capable of and reward them when something goes wrong. In good. Okay, it's thank you. By the way, you, you, you made it, you, you kicked off an interesting point. This will be the first Super Bowl where uh, black quarterbacks are opposing each other. There was a Super Bowl, which I saw actually way back when, when somebody saw, got interference here. Somebody's got a mute. Uh, there was a, a Super Bowl way back when, when uh, a black quarterback came in and threw five touchdown passes. Uh, the great irony was that he played for the team in Washington, whose name we won't uh, mention, which has been changed. But back then, it was a very racist name. And here Doug Williams came in 
throws five flip five uh, touchdowns and beats the Broncos. But there, there you go, uh, Dorothy. Dorothy Reich, I know you've been glued to the tube for these football games. Hold on, hold on, gotta I gotta unmute you, Dorothy. There you go. Okay, go yeah, actually, interesting that the black players who had brain damage were con got less money because their brains were were considered faulty to start with. I mean, this is so football so sick. I will just say two things. First of all, I think it was a huge change in our country when we went from baseball to football. And I think it probably started with Ronald Reagan. That's, uh, a, that's an interesting point. I never thought of that. Yes. We went from a peaceful, slow-moving game of skill to a violent, bone-crushing game of mayhem. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I will say is that Michael Bick went to jail for doing to dogs what the, what the owners do to the players. And I don't see any difference between a quarterback or a running back or anybody else. The quarterbacks don't deserve any more protection. And the contracts of everybody else, if they get hurt, they're out. And these contracts are not guaranteed. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Tatanka, back to you. Yeah, I just, I just want to point out um, a, a more interesting, uh, to me, conversation to have is just the the different political people that come out of California, especially the Bay Area. Uh, Kaepernick is a you know comes out of the San Francisco 49ers that Juan Carlos and the statues of the Olympians who uh, put the fist up in in Mexico City or at San Jose State. The improbable seasons of three World Series for the Giants, the the current success of the Warriors, the the Bill Walsh era of the 49ers are all people who strategically were out of the box thinkers and were more about egalitarian and more about team than the individual. It's, it's just a very interesting conversation. It's no accident in my mind that it comes from here. It has everything to do with the birth of the free speech movement, the environmental movement, the women's movement. It's not separate. Silicon Valley, out of the box thinkers, Steve Jobs, et cetera. Okay. Future conversation. I will mention also that I did personally meet the 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 first outspoken deadhead uh, in the NBA who was Bill Walsh, uh, Bill uh, Bill Walton. Um, um, uh, who he he talk about a radical sports hero, man. He was totally out there and completely upfront about it, and still is. So there you go. Okay, Leslie Roberts in Illinois, and then we're going to move on. I hate I could talk about sports for the next two hours, but you know. We got work to do, folks. Okay, uh, Leslie, go ahead. Le Leslie Roberts. Uh, I was waiting for somebody to unmute me. Okay, go ahead. Please. What other industry is there where people are are traded? It sounds like that's, that's enslaved people. <laughs> I never thought that is a great point. I really like that. That's, that's no corporate capture is very big in in sports in the United States and in the world. And I will, you do have one team that is owned by the community, and that's the Green Bay Packers. And it has to do with the founding of the league. The guy in the 20s, they made a trade, and he was in the, in the meatpacking business. And, 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 you know, it, it, and, but because of that, the owners, the corporate guys who own the NFL, have put a clause in the NFL Constitution saying that no more teams can be community-owned. I mean, it's outrageous. So... Uh, you know, uh, gay cock and you jerks. 
Uh, anyway, okay. And so one community-owned state bank did did not succumb to all the all the stuff in 2008, and we don't have more state banks, and we should. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Does anybody else want to um, uh, uh, say anything further about sports, or are we going to punch here? That was a great discussion. <clears throat> I had a piece on this at Counterpunch, and tomorrow I'll have a new updated piece um, on reader-supported news. And um, you watch, I'm going to guarantee you within 10 years, the quarterbacks, at least in the NFL, will, will have flags because the investment is too high. They can't afford it. They can't afford another debacle like this. This game yesterday was a travesty. Should never have happened like that. And I think that the NFL owners are not going to let it happen again. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. In any event, whatever happens, you heard it here first. <laughs> okay. We're going to move on into um, elections now. Um, we had, Wendy uh, I, I, Gleiderman is going to talk to us about Florida, but I want to start very quickly, Wendy, with John Brakey. We just had a major debacle of some kind in Arizona. I couldn't figure it out with, uh, with paper ballots. And you also have a bill that's about to go through the legislature that could change the whole nature of elections in America. So the, with these minor uh, points here, John Brady, can you fill us in on what's going on? A lot, but I first wanna go back to one thing you said earlier. There is another arena of sports called politics. And <laughs> I wanna tell a story real quick about something that is absolutely incredible. But one of our own election integrity people that we've been working with for years in Memphis, Tennessee, a professor named of Stephen Melroy is the district attorney. And he is the first person to not cover anything up, expose things quick because of what happened in Tennessee with that young man dying at the hand of five cops. It's an incredible story. And it, not any riots or nothing because he was proactive and he threw the gauntlet down. A minute he saw the videos, he fired them and then he indicted them and he put them in jail before he released the film because it was brutal, the film. And it's incredible that the real film that nailed them was really, they beat this after they almost killed him getting him out of his car and he, they maced themselves, the dumb cops. Then they chased him off and, uh, and he got, they caught him under a camera, under a lamp. And you could see these cops brutally beating him saying, stop resisting, don't do that. And he wasn't, they were just beating the hell out of him and killed him. And this guy, one of ours, election transparency activists, you know, I believe in the old Hopi saying, we are the ones we're waiting for. Because if we keep waiting, because there's nobody else to do it, he did it. And I salute this guy dressed incredibly. And I thank him for being my friend and restoring hope that one person can make a difference because he did. What's his name? Stephen Melroy. Stephen Melroy. He's the district attorney. If you Google him, I'll put something on the blog and uh, to explain that. And I guess uh, in Arizona, yes, SB 1324, which is right behind me, is out. And it's uh, uh, going to have its first hearing probably uh, the end of this week or next week. Uh, we're still making some minor adjustments. It's a breakthrough bill because believe it or not, 
We have broke the filibuster with the Democrats and the bill has four co-sponsors in the Senate that are Democrats. So it's and that's a big thing. And what are the very quickly, John, what are the um, key provisions of this bill? Uh, the key provision is to restore trust in elections by making elections in my state transparent, trackable, publicly verified with a ballot library index system to be able to track back the ballot image to the original ballot as a redundant audit system, which is our second bill. Because we also have SB 1324, which is this bill with the ballot images. And the part that will address audits and verification is going to be called SB 16602, or uh, 1602 is what it is, SB. And it just came out today. And the final part of that bill will be uh, addressed and rewritten within two weeks is our limit, because it's out for so public discussion. If these two bills- And then of course, we've got things going on in other places. Uh, we're waiting uh, for the appellate courts to give a decision to make ballot images a public record. I don't think they will. I think they're going to hold off because they know we got bills in the hopper and they don't want to make a decision if the legislators are going to do something on it. So they'll wait to so, see what they do. If you, get, then, these, if you get these two bills, uh, John, if you get these two bills through the Arizona legislature, will they stand as models for how we want to conduct elections in the rest of the country? Yes. And that's why we've released the bills to SOG for their input. We're trying to unite and find unity in our industry by bringing in verified voting, the Brennan Center for Justice, common cause, because if this bill passes by April, we're going to be working it all over the country. We're going for some big block grants, and we're going to go out there and do what we do. We go out there, investigate, educate, agitate, and litigate only if necessary. And we do all of this with love in our heart and conviction. <laughs> well, listen, we'll hope you'll get the money in your treasury as well. So if we yeah, get we laws in, in Arizona that are passed, that are on the books, that we can take around the rest of the country to guarantee free, fair, verifiable elections, handmarked yes. paper ballots with ballot, digital ballot images that are archived, that's yeah. going to change everything, right? It's going to change everything in the sense that we have elections, folks, that we don't have a Wizard of Oz coming out and giving us the results. You can check yourself. <laughs> Maybe we'll have more people voting because it's real. Maybe more people will, better people will run for office because they think they got a chance, okay? Rather than being told that the system is rigged, okay? And, uh, wow, that's it, you know, I tell people this is my new saying is, in elections, transparency is the currency of trust. And without it, our democracy will die in darkness like it's doing right now. And so you know, just to add to one thing, I'm an environmentalist originally. I only got into this because I knew that we couldn't fix the environment until we fixed this. But over the weekend, I heard a devastating report about the lungs of this planet, which is the Amazon and what has happened in the last six years that maybe it's no longer the lungs yes, because well, you know, of the temperature had, raise there. It's awful. 
And thankfully, we're running out of time. Thankfully, we just had an election in Amazon in, in Brazil, uh, where maybe that will change. And the the guy Bolsonaro is apparently, you know, now living in um, Orlando. But the the uh, uh, Lula who came in there by virtue of a, a close election, but where election protection was a factor, um, is hopefully going to make the differences. So, John, well, you know, we are forming the alliance uh, uh, for grassroots democracy. Number one is preserving the elections and making them transparent. If we have bipartisan bills coming out of the Arizona legislature that are yes. certified and on the record, that is, that, you know, certifying hand-marked, uh, digitally scanned, uh, uh, permanently archived paper ballots, that's going to that's gonna really level the playing field. And we, that, that is a huge deal. So we want to thank you for that. And I also want to shout out to my partner, you know, of course, Susan Pinshaw and Ray Lutz and a lot of the people and a lot of people on this call, because if by April we pull this off and I can get the block grant, I will be hopefully out there looking not to have people join my group. I want to help you form your group. OK, yeah, well, we, I really yeah. do believe that we have to, you know, uh, be Margaret meters. A few committed citizens can change the world. In fact, nobody ever has. I want to build a horizontal organization, not a vertical. We're there to inspire, we're there to advise, give you counsel and teach you how to be effective. Well, listen, you've been incredible. We all have to understand that if it, if it wasn't for the work that was done uh, with John and Ray Watson and others in Arizona, um, Arizona would have gone the other way, which would have been very, yeah. very, we'd have Kerry Lake as governor, God forbid, of Arizona. So uh, this is a very big deal. And as you say, in the, the newly formed Alliance for Grassroots Democracy, number one issue is to, to use what, what you've done now in Arizona, get that through the legislature. It's going to be a huge step up for the whole movement for uh, grassroots democracy in this country. So keep us posted on that. It's fantastic. Oh, I will. And I will be leaning on you and people in this group because it is a campaign. If this bill was to pass, at least the first one, if not both, to take them nationally because my God, this planet, our country needs elections that we all can believe in and that we can walk away from a ballot box knowing that it's real because we're going to check it in the next week or so, you know, well, through good a, verification. Do us a favor, post in the chat whatever links you can to these two bills so people will. can see them and yes. start uh, putting, certainly in places like Michigan now, um, um, uh, Wisconsin, uh, other states where Pennsylvania, other, certainly the New England states where we have grassroots pro-demont Minnesota, where we have an attorney general, this, this, um, the, these bills are gonna be critical. So put, if you'll put the links in the chat, that would we'll be- do that. Thank you, John. Uh, Justin will And I thank everybody out there who's worked for this. It's just not me. You know, I wear a button and it says, be the we, and it's purple. And that means <laughs> I took the red and the blue and I mixed it together. I'll tell you another quickie, okay? You know, uh, we had our Democratic Party uh, organization this last weekend, and the governor, Hobbs, 
was pushing another guy, which by chance I'm suing, okay, he's on the board of supervisors, okay? And I'm going, oh my God, thank God I ever said he's bad to him, but I wish it was this other lady because she's so much better. She was vice chair. She okay. really does work. Fontis endorsed her and she oh, yeah. won 70 to 30%. Remember, this is people, the grassroots pro-democracy movement elected in this last election, we elected the Secretary of State in Arizona. He won, for God's sake. Fuentes is his name, right? I Fuentes. met him. Fuentes. Yeah. I met him in LA. Very nice guy. So this is a big deal. That, that we here's a concept for you. We actually have a Secretary of State in a major state, Arizona, who believes in democracy. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy understands, and I, I assume he's supporting your bills. So, so uh, he uh, he's one of my first Democrats to endorse it last year. And, uh, you know, we go back, uh, me and his family right. go back 45 years. That's how long I've known them. And we the have had on this call, on the Zoom call a few months ago, the leading Republican, Ken Bennett, who also, John, uh, helped, helped John formulate this. So it's a huge success story. And we need, we need, we have now a year and a half with the Alliance for Grassroots Democracy to make this nationwide. So John, keep coming on the calls, if you will. Well, I will. I'm glad that it didn't pass last session because it would have passed with a, a Republican governor. It would have passed with a House run only by Republicans voting for it, a Senate with only Republicans, and the bill would have come out of Arizona looking like a crazy mega bill. So I need both parties. I need a purple. I need a purple bill. Okay, excellent. That's great. Uh, Justin LeBlanc. Well, it's better that it's happening this way. Justin and then Dorothy, and then we'll go to Wendy. Go ahead, Justin. So congratulations to all the grassroots efforts that uh, resulted in a lot of success this round. I wanted to ask John uh, what his plans are to extend it from the state level to the county and city levels, uh, especially where a lot of these elections rules and uh, certifications are decided. Because uh, essentially, you know, if we want to keep grassroots uh, hope alive, it's got to come at a local level, not just a statewide umbrella level, you know. Go ahead. You're right. We have to go into that state, be able to have money to buy op-eds, to hire staff, people knocking on doors. We have to be able to take this damn democracy back to we the people. And the only way it's going to work if they if they can believe it's real, because most people don't. And I don't either. Uh, I believe in what I'm doing to make it that way. OK, and, uh, and it's on those levels. But it does need to happen two ways, either through you're going to well three ways, convince the secretary of state to enforce the law. <laughs> Good luck on that. Huh? And uh, especially in a, in a rogue state like Massachusetts or I want to sue Massachusetts. I want to get back into Michigan really bad. They're destroying images there because they think it's going to cause long lines. And that's craziness. Something's really wrong when they tell you that. In Massachusetts, they say, oh, we're not saving them because it would be illegal. So we turned that off on the device. So our machine doesn't create an image. So you're well, talking, about, you're talking about preserving... You're talking about preserving digital images of- uh, Yeah, of yeah, they destroy them. Because they're very we got 10 minutes left in this okay, segment. Yeah, we got to keep going here. Uh, Dorothy Reich, and then we're going to go to Wendy. Thank you. Uh, Dorothy, go ahead. Got I just wanted to mention that, that, that the, the progressives took over the Arizona Democratic Party uh, 
they yeah. they elected the chair and all 13 members now they won 10 elections out of 10 and all 13 members now i believe are progressive so that's a huge win and you can thank pda for that thank you dorothy yes um our very own dan o'neill who's been on here who's worked with john brakey another arizona champion for democracy small d and big d um uh that there was a an incredible grassroots organizing effort to bring democracy to the Democratic Party in Arizona, joining uh, the state of Washington, joining the state of Nevada, and hopefully very soon, um, the state of Florida. And we'll be talking about that on an upcoming- That's next. Day. So we're gonna go to Florida now, Wendy Lederman. Um, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have our, our correspondent in an actual fascist state, um, uh, Wendy, uh, John, fantastic. Uh, Wendy, can you tell us what's going on in Florida, parallel to Arizona, please? Thank you. Yes, um, fascism in action for sure. And Carolina Ampudia is, um, she's trying to get on right now. Um, she's a dear friend of mine who just recently stepped down as um, the Progressive Caucus uh, state chair of the Progressive Caucus after calling for the resignation of Manny Diaz, who was the Democratic Party state chair for um for his uh oh I see Carolina I think is here but she's under my name as Wendy Letterman um because she had my my link so um Carolina if you want to change the name and um you can hop in the conversation because she actually um just announced her bid for um to take the place of uh, of Manny Diaz to be the chair of the Democratic Party because there was so much um, neglect and dereliction of duty when it came to the elections. Um, I mean, we, we already know it's very tough uh, to get Democrats on the left to activate um, in elections that aren't for the presidency, you know, for, for the down ballot races. There's Carolina, wonderful. And, um, and so, yeah, we we just basically like I'm in um, one of the most Cuban cities in the entire country and there were, were no signs whatsoever for Charlie Chris. Um, we had Nikki Freed kind of splitting the Democratic vote in the primaries. We had Santos going on tour for the education races, which are supposed to be bipartisan. And he was going around giving a thousand dollars to each candidate and endorsing them. And um, there was no opposition against that. And what ended up happening is that they overturned all of the school boards. And now you see what's happening with all like books being illegal and, and teachers can get arrested for having personal libraries that are unvetted. You have um, elected leaders that are being um, fired, even though he's beyond his jurisdiction. And one huge point that just, we have the, the United States of amnesia and Florida of amnesia where uh, almost a year ago, DeSantis just decided to like make his own district maps. He's just like, we, we, in our state, we're, I mean, he's just like, yeah, sure. No, I want these. I'm the king now. We have a process so where instead of, instead of gerrymandering, it's now Ronnie mandering. Ronnie, Ronnie mandering. Exactly. Um, so we, we have a legislature is supposed to provide the maps because we gained a seat in, in this, um, in the Congress. So the legislature draws the maps that are supposed to be typically status quo, and then they're sent to the state Supreme Court for congressional review. And that happened. And um, the, the the court's like, yeah, cool. Like, these maps are good. And then um, the sentence is like, no, I don't like them. And so it happened again. And finally, he's just like, I'm going to make my own maps. And instead of having um, 
I think it was uh, I think it was like 11 Democratic seats and um, 16 uh, Republican seats. We're at um, 20 Republican seats and eight Democratic seats and nobody is saying anything. And so I'm going to pass it off to, to Carolina and let her speak because she's um, we're very, very excited for um, for her excellent leadership. And hopefully she gets elected as the state chair because we could have some true progressive blood making a difference um, in the state and then the rest of the country because we see that DeSantis is preparing for the White House, which personally terrifies me more than a lot of what else we've seen because he's so quick to make his own rules. Thanks, right. Carolina. I, I want to point out that um, Lorenzo is on with us as well. So we will obviously go past the, uh, the first hour into the second hour talking about politics. So we will be joined by uh, Linda Seeley uh, from San Luis Obispo, and we'll get later in the second hour, we'll get into uh, Diablo Canyon. But this is a lot to cover here from Florida and then from Peru. Uh, Lorenzo, you'll be glad to know that you're now known uh, on our calls as the Peru guy. <laughs> Thanks to Jeffrey. Thank you, and Jeffrey, um, but, sorry to interrupt, um, but just real quick, also, we have Joe Benasia here from the Florida Rights of Nature on the, the Right to Clean Water Amendment, which is the Green Amendment. Um, to amend the um, the state constitution to give rights to people to have clean water. And it's being replicated in other states as well, where it changes um, the people's power and it gives power to the people over the um, the legislature. So hopefully we'll- yeah. Well, let, let, me, let me very quickly, thank you for that. Let me very quickly tell our listeners at Progressive Radio Network, if you're listening to us Thursday night, it's just about six o'clock in, uh, in uh, New York. And um, we will continue another hour, uh, at least, with this discussion. We're going to go into the environment. We're going to talk more about Florida and then Peru. Uh, so uh, stay with us. If, if you need to switch over, this is archived at the grassrootsep.org website, where you can go hear the rest of our discussion, which will carry through the top of the hour. So thank you, PRN listeners, for listening in. And, and for the rest of this, go to grassrootsep. Org. Thank you, Mike Hirsch and Steve uh, Caruso for engineering this. Uh, and we're going to continue. I will remind people uh, we will not meet uh, on President's Day in the middle of February. And we're also, at the end of February, going to be switching our link to a different Zoom uh, system. And we'll keep you posted on that. But in the meanwhile, it's status quo. Um, Carolina, before we jump to you, I want to give Ruth Strauss a chance. She's got her hand up. She's a fellow Southerner. Uh, from Arizona, from Alabama, uh, but uh, go ahead, Ruth. Uh, um, uh, you got for us. I think everybody knows, but uh, uh, and probably most of all, Wendy. But everybody that uh, the Democratic Party did nothing to help Florida, and um, and you know, like Val Demings should have gotten a seat. I mean, it's really criminal. Like they say, you know, with friends like that, who needs enemies? Does anybody have any idea what we can do, you know, besides voting the bums out, which may not be that easy, although we're doing well? Um, I mean, they just they, they just completely ignored Florida and look what happened. Exactly. And, you know, both Republican candidates for the presidency in 24, with now counting Trump and DeSantis, are going to be from Florida. So. Uh, Carolina, you're, what you're doing in response to Ruth is trying to become the leader of the Democratic Party in Florida. We are nonpartisan, but this is a grassroots uprising. 
So maybe you should take over the Republican Party as well. Uh, but go ahead, Carolina, and uh, tell us what you're doing. That would be nice, no? <laughs> Thank you for having me. And it's it's really, again, uh, a pleasure to be with all of you. Um, as you guys know, uh, we've been talking about the, the issues affecting Florida for a very long time. And progressives have been at the forefront at calling all of these issues, but at the same time, researching about solutions for those issues. So the transition from from not having a chair that was doing anything uh, came came actually pretty easy at at some point. Um, not not that we have won or anything. I I actually don't don't think that we have the votes to be honest. But we're we're working on that. And we what we want to do also is to call attention to the issues. Like Ruth was saying, there's a lot going on. Actually, we consider that the party is broken and, and that we have to really start from the bottom. And this is where the reason for the campaign came. Uh, we, we were not even just considering running. We were trying to find solutions for the, for the issues that the party is facing. And in that process, it became really clear that the candidates that were throwing their hat in are the people that that are some of them responsible of the of the party being in the in the situation where it is, but also the they're they're the same. There there's no difference between what we had with what what we would have if they are elected. So we threw our hat. And and I say we because I'm I'm not me only. I'm part of a large movement of progressives and people that are concerned about what's going on with our state and where it's leading us and how affect how these affects the everyday people and people mostly from from the working class in a state that now surpasses the fifty percent of poverty rate and and really lives in in a state of oppression where we need voices that are really ready to to get out on the work so it makes sense that if we need to rebuild the party we start rebuilding it with with people that have been building movement for the longest time and and that's the the progressive people and and I'm I'm very happy and honored uh, that I get to do this um, it is it is also kind of frustrating because the the party has a lot of restrictions in their bylaws and there's only certain group of people that are are able to run even for this position. So I took the chance because of that and I'm I'm very excited to to be doing this with them. There's a lot of things that that we can do and we are the only, group that has an actual platform. I, I emailed it to, to you, Wendy, so you can you can share. And if you if you see my name over here, it has also the, the link to our Facebook page. And you can you can find also some of our plans and solutions that we have put together so that so that we can fix this this state. And hopefully with that we can attract people to invest in elections in, in Florida and trust that there's a lot of people working for change 
over here and that that we are are doing our best so that our party transforms from just a party that is, that is winning or hoping to win elections but actually into a party that it's in in actual service and constant service to the people identifying the needs of the community is one thing but also working with the community so that those can become realities and also to uplift people in the community who are already fighting for those changes so that we can really build a bench made of organizers and empowering people. So yes. if you have any question, I'll be very happy to, to answer. But again, thank you so much for having me here. And it's it's such a pleasure. And please, please push for us also. And, and if you can go to that page, there's links for endorsements. We want to hear from everyone in the progressive community all around the country and and build a, a, an even stronger progressive um, coalition so that we can get this done. Very good, very good, thank you. Someone has commented on your background there. It looks like a, a map of Miami on acid, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's great to, great to have you with us and, and great to, uh, 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 really hear of your efforts there. Uh, Leslie, then Wendy, and then you want to go to um, 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 your other uh, organizer from Florida. Uh, we, we're joined by Kevin Camps. Uh, Kevin is the expert from Nuclear Information Resource Service in Michigan, <laughs> I mean, from Beyond Nuclear. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, Kevin, we will be talking about nuclear in a few minutes, so if you'll stick with us, uh, especially about Palisades and Diablo Canyon. Uh, Wendy, go ahead. Uh, we have Leslie Roberts with a hand, but if you want to call on her first, and then and then we'll give it back to you. Thank you. I was just going to ask Carolina um because I know that she um was uh having endorsements in Florida. So I don't know if there's anyone in Florida that's on the call that wants to give her an endorsement, or if she can take endorsements from outside, if that's possible. Not money, but just you know, if there's a way that people can follow you that way and outside the call, be able to follow up. Thank you, and sorry, Leslie, appreciate you. Thanks. Yes. Thank Go you ahead, so Leslie. much. Yes, I'm dropping my link on the on the chat. Please make sure that you follow over there, and you're going to see that one of the the comments that it's pinned to the page is for endorsements. We're not taking money. We only want support and and to show how strong the movement is, not only in Florida but also throughout the country, and how we actually are going to build a bigger, better movement that is going to help all of the country, all of the people in this country, and not just think of corporations and we need to bring money so that we can win elections when we have the people so that we can win elections. Good. I heard from Tom Hartman that the GOP is investing and taking over a lot of radio programs in Spanish so that they're they're conditioning the speak the Spanish speaking only people to vote for GOP. Are we That's doing anything right. on that side? Absolutely right. And they're not only doing that with radio, but also with TV, the, the two main stations, um, Telemundo and, and Univision, they are, they are mostly right wing. So we have a lot to do. And, you know, we, what we are is not afraid of, of getting out there and working. Great, absolutely. Uh, did you want, Wendy, did you want to go to Joseph? 
Joseph Bonas Benasia. Benasia, yeah, I think I think it's Benasia. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say Carolina, I've known her for years. She's an amazing leader. Just I mean, she's just fantastic. She's the real deal. Thank you so much. And um, thank you, Harvey. Yeah, um, Joe Benasia is with us and um He's an amazing leader as well. We have the um the Florida right to clean and healthy water ballot amendment that is um we're trying to get we're trying to trigger a constitutional review by March 1st, but it's, a, it's just such a powerful piece um that could really just do so much for all the troubles that you guys have heard me talk about in the waters in Florida, but it would set the precedent for everywhere. So thank you so much Joe, really appreciate you being here. Sure. All right. Thanks. Yeah, hello everybody. Good to be here. So uh, very quickly, this is what you need to know. Water conditions down here in Florida are terrible. We've got a thousand springs, 80% of them are polluted. Lake Okeechobee uh, is famously polluted. We've got wild blue-green algae blooms and red tides, dying manatees, seagrass beds are on the verge of the uh, spiral deathbed. So we are going to do what has been done in Pennsylvania, Montana, and most recently in New York. We want to provide all Floridians with a fundamental constitutional right to clean and healthy waters. This is up there in the Bill of Rights section of our constitution. It is a fundamental right, which means that it would take precedence over the permitted rights that our state gives to polluters and to property owners and developers and such. It is also indefeasible. I love that word. That means that it cannot be overturned, it cannot be altered or compromised by our state legislature. Uh, down here in Florida, we've had success with citizens' initiatives, only to have their intent um, compromised by the state legislature afterwards. So um, that cannot happen with this. Uh, the people who wrote this language were very, very smart. They anticipated that we'd have lots of challenges. It took a long, long time to write the language uh, for this amendment. Principally, it would go help us light years to overcome the undue influence that special interests have in environmental policy in Florida. Two quick examples. Two years ago, we did something absolutely historic in Orange County. 89% of the voters there passed a right to clean water, rights of nature amendment. It became the largest jurisdiction in the country to do so. Within two months that it, was, that it was put on the ballot, even before Floridians had the right to vote on it, the state legislature swooped in and preempted the authority of local governments to pass such laws. They were successful in snuffing out uh, similar citizens' initiatives in other counties. That's why we have up the ante and we are going to go over their heads to amend the Constitution. Clean water is absolutely fundamental to everybody, particularly, I wouldn't say particularly here in, in Florida, but so much of our economy, so much of our quality of life uh, is dependent upon it. We merit this fundamental right. It would be a game changer for us down here. Uh, a few years ago, I'm sure everybody heard about Piney Point, that environmental disaster. If this amendment had been on the books, we could have uh, prevented that, very likely have prevented that. Because years before, the Army Corps of Engineers had predicted that if the DEP went ahead and issued a permit for further use of facility, there would be a breach in that liner and all hell would broke out. And that's exactly what did happen. Um, we also have lost more wetlands than any other states in the country. 
million acres. And we are still destroying them. I got folks who want to destroy uh, mixed wetlands and uplands behind my house. After, after we just got our butts kicked with Hurricane Ian, this is still a consideration. This is an amendment that I can sort of draw a line and say, enough is enough. No more unsustainable, de unsustainable development. No more developing destruction of wetlands. Great. Yes. Will, you put, will you put it in the chat? Can you put it in the link so that people can see the wording of this elect uh, amendment? Wendy, can you do that? It. I just yes, did. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, All Joe. Right, thank you, Wendy. Thank you for that. Joseph, thank you. There's a hand here. Eric Lazarus, did you want to uh, ask a question? Uh, I got to unmute you. Sorry. Go ahead now. Hey, yes. Um, here's my question. Um, and it's particularly to uh, uh, the former chair of the Progressive uh, Caucus, um, although any Floridians will know more than I do about this. I'm wondering about the idea of having a lottery where anyone who gets arrested for voting um, and still having um, some outstanding fees that you're supposed to pay could actually um, not only get their legal bills and those, um, and those fees paid, but actually the idea that um, wealthy Democrats and the rest of us could put money in so that money would be divided up by those people who got arrested um, for voting. Um, it, it's, uh, is, is anybody thinking about anything like this? I, I, it's been on my mind, I'm Eric. Okay, thank you. Uh, Joseph, Wendy? I, I, I think Bloomberg uh, came across with a lot of money in order to do that. Maybe Wendy knows better than I do. I'm not 100% positive, but that sounds uh, likely. Actually, uh, Colin Kaepernick, the uh, former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers has, has started a, a fund of where, where people who are harmed by police uh, can can uh, sue. I, I believe that I understand that right. I have to look into that. But he put up money for some kind of legal fund for people who are harmed in some way. Wendy, do you, do you know more about it? Um, and as I was looking at the um the chat and Joe, if you want to check the chat with um what Dennis just wrote, and we can connect more later. Um, but yeah, I know there's one group, and I'm trying to um, it's just it's escaping my my mind right now, but it's just really working on at least just getting redemption for the people that um that lost their right to vote, and just really like working on that whole issue. Um, but yeah, I, there was like a lot of, and like with a lot of our other ballot amendments that have happened, it has to do with like semantics. And, um, so what happened with, uh, with the people with the right to vote that were arrested, I mean, they had to go through the state to do it, but technically they weren't like, they were convicted of particular felonies that weren't counted. So it's, it's a good question. I'll try to find the link for the group that's working with, um, with the people that lost their right and, and gained it back again. Cause I did actually work on that amendment and it was a really good one and it's, it's an old Jim Crow thing. So anyway, good. thank, thank you. you. Good, good point. Good point. I, I want to let you, uh, uh, Kevin, I, I see you're outside, uh, Kevin camps. Uh, we will get to you. Um, we're going to talk a bit about Peru and then we'll come to the new thing. I hope you can stay with us. Okay. It looks like you're in a good place there. Kevin, thanks. Okay, Ron Leonard has a hand, and then we're going to go to Peru uh, to Lorenzo Canizares. Lorenzo, thank you for staying with us. Ron Leonard, uh, did you want to jump in here? Just to mention, good old Bloomberg kicked in $16 million 
in 2020 to help Florida felons pay fines. And that's in the chat. That's right. So that was a situation where the people of Florida voted overwhelmingly in a referendum to, good for you, Steve, thank you for that, uh, um, voted overwhelmingly in a referendum to allow ex-felons to vote. And the state legislature jumped in and demanded they pay fines, which they were undefined, as I recall, uh, before they could actually vote. And so Bloomberg, right, Ron, Bloomberg kicked in 16 million. Mm-hmm. Now, well, good for Bloomberg. Fantastic. So, but the, the state legislature is completely out of control in Florida. It is very much a fascist organization uh, being led by uh, uh, essentially, uh, you know, a guy who's burning books in the libraries. And um, it, it's really, really a bad situation. Wendy, did you ask? Jump in on that real quick. Thank you. Good eye. Thank you. Um, yeah, I um I, I mean I just wanted to say it ties in what we were just talking about with Carolina and what Joe mentioned. Cause we actually had Chuck O'Neill on um a few months back. We've had him a couple of times. He was the rights of nature guy that promoted the um the the ordinance in Orange County that got 89% of the vote. I mean, come on, like what do you like what more do you want? And then the same legislature that took away the rights to felons and preempted their right are the same ones that preempted the the rights of nature movement um, that are, again, firing elected officials. So it's a broader picture of just the assertion of democracy and taking away the rights of people. And so that's why this amendment is so important, because it takes back that right to the people and that can go in any state, you know, constitutional amendments. But that also just goes to show the danger of this particular administration that we have that really is like a monarchy type tyrannical rule that ha- that has no regard for democracy and the will of the people. So just weaving that together. Thank you. So folks might want to know that there are initiatives to do the same thing uh, in New Mexico and even more so up in Maine where the legislature uh, is on board with this, at least more and more. So instead of going through the citizens initiative and having to get hundreds of thousands of signed petitions, is going through the legislature. And uh, my Van Rossum, who was the founder of the Green Amendments Movement uh, in the nation, was down here for a couple of weeks. She's working in New Mexico. She's been working up in, in Maine, New York, and she's working with us as well. Thank you. Uh, Ron, did you want to say something further? Then we go to Wesley. I just wanted to ask Joseph if there, if there was any question to the EPA on Speedy's permits on all these polluters, there can be a review what has the federal government done for you, if anything? The, the, the problem is once, a big problem is once permits are issued, there's very little that can be done. Uh, most recently, the EPA has been looking at what um, Florida is doing. They said, you guys are not meeting water quality standards. You, right. have, you have to improve them. But F- Florida is famous for not meeting uh, water quality standards. And that is what a fundamental right will give us the ability to do. Courts can compel the executive state branch and its agencies to protect our fundamental right. They do not have the discretion to disregard the Constitution. If you look at uh, reservoir.org, which is the fight I had decades ago on New York City uh, not filing a speedies permit, we renegotiated the actual federal Clean Water Act and maybe you could do the same in Florida. You guys should be in touch, Joseph and Bonesh and uh, Ron, if you'll exchange 
contacts in the chat, that would be great. We're going Leslie to talk, and then we're going to uh, go to uh, talk about Peru, please. Uh, Leslie and then Tatanka, go ahead. Leslie, are you unmuted? No. Thank okay. you. <laughs> yeah, um, just a couple of uh, talks ago, we were talking about Jim Crow laws when we were talking about um, people in Florida not being able to vote. Please look at the 13th Amendment and the 15th <laughs> Amendment. They are Jim Crow laws. The 13th Amendment, there is forced labor for people that are felons. The okay. 15th Amendment deprives voting of people who are felons. These are Jim Crow laws. They must be changed. It used, to be, it used to be that um, the okay. prisons could send the felons to their old masters to go work for free. Right. The, the, the freed slaves. But now it's corporations that are in there having people work for them. And they can get something in some states like only earn $20 or $25 a month. And where does that leave all their families if the breadwinner of the house is only making $25? And, okay, and is there job training when these corporations come in? Are they gonna hire them afterwards? Thank you, Leslie. Good points. Very good. Thank you. Tatanka, and then we're going to go to Lorenzo and, and talk about Peru. It's been a great discussion on Florida. Thank you, Wendy, for bringing in, in Joseph and Lorenzo and, uh, and uh, Carolina. And we want to keep, on, keep in touch with this. Uh, Tatanka, go ahead. Thank you, Wendy, for your guests. They're fantastic. Um, I just wanted to say that Colin Kaepernick uh, has given money largely to grassroots groups Speaking, uh, working on racial justice, he did form a legal defense initiative about two years ago, uh, to, but it was in it was specifically in Minneapolis to help people who needed legal resources to fight racial injustice. I don't know if he has something national. That's all. Okay, very good. Thank you, Tatanka. Okay, um, uh, thank you again for this Florida segment. We've been in Arizona and Florida. We're now going to go to the fifty-first state, which is Peru. Um, uh, Lorenzo, uh, if you will tell us what's going on down there, we'd greatly appreciate it. I gotta unmute you here. Uh, where'd you go? Okay. Okay, you're I good. See. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's hardly happening that Peru is going to become the 51st state. Uh, it, um, as a matter of fact, uh, looking at the uh, reaction to our press to what's going on in Peru should give us an indication of how critical that situation in Peru is about. Um, today, the New York Times, nothing. The Wall Street Journal has an article by Maria Anastasia O'Grady, which is a famous uh, uh, right-wing, uh, to, to the right of the right-wing uh, columnist on the, uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, where she's blaming the Cubans for what's going on in, in Peru. Um, now, yeah, they put, the Cubans are bringing all those uh, people from the mountains down, the, down to uh, Lima. To uh, What's happening today, why it's so relevant, is that today started a, a, a national strike, a national strike uh, of uh, farmers. And uh, let me see, I, have, I wrote it down. Uh, the, so there's a the, national the, strike in Peru to 
um, um, oppose the overturning uh, of the government. Is that right? They are uh, opposed to overturning the government of Pedro Castillo, the, the, the guy who was uh, uh, deposed on December 7th of last year. Right. And uh, exactly. uh, since, since then have been uh, uh, over 60 people have died uh, from uh, uh, the police and the, the, and the army. And uh, today the Federation of Coffee Growers and uh, Farmers of Peru uh, went um, on a strike, on a national strike, looking at the news through the, uh, the other side of the internet, uh, <laughs> I noticed that uh, already is being said that there is a loss of revenues from exporters. Uh, sincerely, I can tell you that I don't believe uh, this government has much chance to survive, uh, that uh, there's going to be a, a, a change in the government. I don't know what that change will mean because there doesn't seem to be any leading party uh, or any leading organization uh, 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 doing uh, the political bidding. Uh, now people are demanding that Pedro Castillo be, be left uh, 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 out of jail and uh, Pedro Castillo was the democratically elected go, uh, president of Peru. And um, Pedro Castillo represents the, the Peruvian people. Uh, and um, uh, I, I really uh, do think that it's uh, uh, very important to look at the Peruvian situation with the eyes of people uh, that uh, are participating in that struggle. And uh, uh, to, um, uh, a few days ago, uh, the CELAC conference, I don't know how you say that in English, uh, 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 the CELAC conference in, in Argentina uh, finished and um, uh, there was uh, uh, almost uh, total support. Uh, I say almost because I don't know uh, what uh, is exactly uh, the, 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 if there was anybody that, that opposed uh, the, the Peruvian, uh, people like uh, Chile, who is, is uh, uh, considered, uh, you know, social democrat to kind of a soft uh, uh, happening in, uh, in, in regards to the, the, the other groups like Bolivia, Cuba, Venezuela, Mexico, uh, even Chile is supporting uh, the, the Peruvian government uh, very strongly. Uh, now, the, the, the thing is that what is important to all of us, uh, and I, I do believe that what's happening in Peru has tremendous um, consequences uh, for for the for the whole world already having it uh, I, I, we can see in the in the select conference uh, uh, what is having is that that and I finished uh, the article that uh, by the way um, uh, thank you Stephen for uh, putting the article in the in the chat um, I finished my article uh, by saying the victory of the popular forces in Peru will be a victory for the whole of humanity a major step to a more just and better world. And, uh, and I stand by that 150% because uh, uh, it, it seems to me um, um, that um, what's happening in Peru is probably the most 
uh, important struggle going on to uh, uh, you know because important have become so important because they have a chance of winning you know there is a lot, a lot of other important struggles going on around the world but this is a one that people have a real good chance of winning and um uh he's the most important because it has the chance to give a major blow to white supremacy and white supremacy in my opinion uh, uh of uh, the schemes of uh, of around the world which is uh, i believe is they are behind every 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 negative thing in the in in, in this world uh white supremacy uh takes an, a knockout punch uh it would be a, a, it would make a, a most a much better world a most just world uh the the peruvian people and just to conclude my my little uh, spiel uh, 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 is that, is that a Peruvian word, spiel? Huh? <laughs> oh, brother, I, I, I was raised in New York City, so imagine. <laughs> Even though I didn't go to Baruch College, I played uh, I played uh, so, uh, volleyball there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the the thing is that the, uh, yeah, uh, it, 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 what's happening in um, in um, in, in in Peru um, has the potential. I mean, in Latin America already is having a tremendous effect because white supremacy is not just uh, in uh, in Alabama. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, all over uh, uh, the southern hemisphere too. And uh, uh, we, because of uh, whatever historical circumstances, too is uh, too long of a. Uh, to, to discuss that, but uh, in, because of uh, uh, the the history and the the, the development of uh, relationships and all that, uh, we might have a little bit ahead. But the bestiality, the the, the, the criminality, uh, what we saw in Bolivia when they had the coup uh, and uh, the the killing of the, of uh, indigenous people in in Bolivia, uh, uh, what we're seeing now in Peru. Um, is um, is um, uh, an indication of uh, the problem. We're seeing that in Ecuador too. Uh, 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 so this is um, uh, a, a, a very important fight that is going on all over uh, the world, and uh, okay. it's affecting Latin America, Brazil. Uh, you know now uh, also we, there is all kinds of uh, reports of how the indigenous people have been mistreated and. Uh, and and uh, 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 being and being killed uh, uh, because of all of this is uh, white supremacy, as uh, okay. most of us should know, is just a tool uh, of the grid uh, machine. I call it grid machine. All those co right. uh, corporations that well, uh, come together and uh, uh, to exploit and and and, and right, take right, right. Yeah, so we're we're not getting any other news from Peru. It is amazing that. It's going to be completely blacked out in the American media, even the left media. And the left media is talking a lot about um, a Ukraine, and 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 you know, and they're not even talking there about the nuclear reactors, which Kevin Camps is going to fill us in on. But you, you know, Lorenzo, I hope you'll come back with us every week and keep us filled in on what's happening in Peru, because I agree with you 100 percent, as I'm sure everybody on this call agrees. This is a very big deal what's going on in Peru and nobody, 
Nobody is talking about it up here in North America. And I hope that if the democracy can be restored in uh, Peru, that you'll uh, bring the movement up and restore it in Florida as well. It'd be a big, it'd be a big deal. So uh, thank you for that. Does anyone want to ask um, Lorenzo anything directly um, uh, before we move on to nuclear stuff? Uh, Jeffrey, really quickly, uh, do you have something directly on Peru? Okay. Yes, um, can you hear me? Yes, very quickly, Jeffrey, please. Okay, I wanted to ask this question since last week. No. Last week, uh, uh, can, I, can I ask? Just Is the ahead. Peru... Is yes. the Peruvian government committing crimes against demo democracy? And to be and to be sure what you know what that me means, I'm going to send you this in the chat box. Okay. Uh, obviously, they they overthrew the duly elected uh, president and put him in jail. And uh, I've get I guess you've got two ex presidents in jail in Peru now. Uh, Fujimori is also in jail, but this guy should not be in jail. Uh, the one they threw out. So. Lorenzo, will you keep coming back and give us updates? Yeah, let me let me just uh, uh, add to what the, uh, the our friend just said. Um, it's very important to realize that uh, as it was used in Brazil and it, and it's being used now in Peru, it was used in Brazil to depose uh, 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 Dilma and uh, Dilma Rousseff, and uh, also it's been used in in Peru to to depose. Uh, uh, Pedro Castillo, and it's a term that I believe it was coined by the people from the Brennan Center, uh, uh, and it's lawfare. We, they are waging lawfare, and they are waging lawfare here in the United States too. Uh, that's one of the things that Steve Bannon is specializing on, and uh, 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 being able to utilize all these uh, tools uh, that are provided by loopholes in our de uh, in our democratic system. Okay. And, uh, so th that's the same case in Peru. And thank so, you. Thank you. That. I will be here next week. Please. Uh, uh, and uh, I hope I, I will uh, have good news, uh, Harvey. I will hope that I will have good All right. News. We hope so, too. And, and maybe oh. we can uh, send Ron DeSantis down there and then wait three Three guys in <laughs> and, and, and thank you for that very much. Uh, Justin, very quickly, then we're gonna go to uh, Kevin Camps and open our uh, discussion of the nuclear issues and then to Ron Leonard uh, talk about uh, renewable technologies. Um, uh, um, uh, Dorothy and Justin, you have hands very quickly. Justin and Dorothy, please. Justin, real quick. So to dovetail these two issues, uh, Lorenzo, you mentioned in your articles about oligarchs and, mm. you know, there's lots of ways that oligarchs use laws and courts and various political systems against the working class. And that's really what's happening even in the energy sector around the world, too. They're, you know, clamping down, trying to protect their political power through the energy power as well. So I think we're going to get a lot of great discussion there. Great. Thank you. For Thank that. you, Justin. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Dorothy, I'm unmuting you. There you go. go ahead, Dorothy. They, uh, now we can't hear you. Oh, you're muted again. You're muting yourself, I think. We can't hear you, Dorothy. There. Uh, there's something wrong with where there. Dorothy, you're muted. There. Go all ahead. right. So first of all, if you want to find out what's going on in Peru, if you Google Peru news, you're going to get information I, I just sent out this morning an article from the guardian uh from uh, the guardian about 
Peru. And I just wanted to get Lorenzo's comment on, on how the vice president became so compromised because she was a, le a left-wing person also. She was no she was no right-winger when she ran as uh, the president's vice president. They, uh, they ran together. David was a Manchu, also was a, right, a left-winger. She was not, so she just pretended. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. that is exactly okay, well, that's, what that's what we need to know because that's not how yeah. she's being betrayed in the right. media here. I just okay. want to uh, segue into and remind everybody that um, uh, who's the crazy woman from Georgia? Um, uh, she, the, Marjorie the, Taylor Green. Marjorie Taylor Green is looking to become the new Sarah Palin. She wants to be vice president under under Trump. So there we go, another another vice president syndrome. Thank you for that, Dorothy. Thank you, Lorenzo. Amazing report. We'll, we'll see. Be with you next week, please. Um, we're going to jump into energy now, real quick. Um, there has been a mind-boggling development. Uh, Kevin Camps, um, you're now, you're now outside in the dark, but it, you're, you're still visible. So unmuting you. We've had a mind-boggling development at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, where there's actually talk of not extending the license for Diablo Canyon. If you can talk about that and then about what, what's happening in Palisades, the nuclear plant there, that'd be great. Then we're gonna to go to Ron Leonard and talk about battery technology, but go ahead, Kevin Camps from Beyond Nuclear. Sure, yeah. I mean, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has very Byzantine processes. And it's very rare that they ever rule in the public interest. It's almost always in the corporate interest, of course. And in this particular case, it may sound good that they have told Pacific Gas and Electric that the original license extension application from many years ago that had been relinquished because PG&E started an agreement process with the labor unions, local municipalities, several environmental groups, and by 2016 had hammered out a shutdown agreement. This was initiated by Pacific Gas and Electric. They had given up on extending the license beyond 40 years out to 60. They gave up, they relinquished that license extension application. And now that uh, this, Governor Let Newsom me clarify, is this is for Diablo, Kevin, this is for Diablo Canyon, the two nuclear reactors at San Luis Obispo that we have a, had a general agreement to shut next year in 2024, unit one, 2025, unit two, as you're saying, PG&E had given up on the license. Now, uh, Governor Newsom uh, wants to extend the licenses, but there's some detail at the, D the NRC. And you, go ahead now and, and tell us what's, what's happened. So PG&E in a complete reversal, by a $1.4 billion gift from Newsom and the California state legislature in the form of a bailout. And they're also seeking a Department of Energy $1.1 billion bailout that has been awarded. Um, the money hasn't flowed yet. So that's a grand total now of $2.5 billion. PG&E has reversed itself and asked the NRC to simply restart its license extension application from many years ago. And what Harvey was asking about is NRC said, no, we're not going to do that. Sounds like a victory, right? NRC will find a way. I mean, just look at Indian Point, New York. The licenses at Indian Point, New York, some years ago, expired amidst the license extension proceeding. And the NRC said, oh, Entergy, 
you're such good corporate citizens and you applied in good faith really late in the game to extend these licenses. And then the state of New York got in the way and these pesky citizens got in the way and it took so much time. We're just gonna let you keep operating on expired licenses at Indian Point. And the good news there is those reactors have shut. They're probably not coming back. But at Diablo, they've reversed themselves on shutting down. They've asked for you know, the rules to be broken by the NRC. NRC said, nope, but NRC will find a way. They always do. So we're gonna have to stay vigilant. At Palisades in Michigan, it's similar to the Diablo Canyon story. The new owner, Holtec, has asked for a billion or more from the feds. They were denied that last November. We thought we were done, but nope, they're going to apply again as we speak for that billion from the feds or more. They're going to apply for a billion or more from the state of Michigan. Again, two, two and a half billion to restart a closed reactor, which has never happened anywhere in the world. So most times when you close a reactor, that's good enough. It's closed. At Palisades, we closed it last May previous owner closed it. Then we closed it again when the Department of Energy denied the bailout last November. And here they come again. We're going to have to deny it. We're going to have to close it a third time. So um, that's that situation. I'll just uh, real quickly say that we just got ruled against by the second highest court in the land on a high-level radioactive waste dump in Texas. So that was a shocking ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. We'll keep fighting. The good news is we have the state of Texas on our side, if you can believe that. We face a similar dump in New Mexico. We have the state of New Mexico on our side. So as Nevada has shown at Yucca Mountain for four decades, as Utah showed at private fuel storage at Skull Valley Goshutes Indian Reservation, if states fight these things, they can stop these companies. They can stop the federal government. That's our hope at these locations. It's a majority Latin American area, uh, impoverished polluted. That's where they've targeted these two dumps at. They're within 40 miles of each other. It's for all the waste in the country and then double that amount. That's how much they want to put out there. Triple that amount. That's going on there. Harvey mentioned Ukraine. I mean, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is a global catastrophe waiting to happen. I mean, six reactors. Russia's trying to grand grand theft nuclear, steal a six reactor nuclear power plant. Um, that belongs to Ukraine and the, the shells are fallen, the missiles are fallen, there's um, frontline combat in the vicinity and it's not just Zaporizhia, it's a number of other nuclear power plants in that country, but Zaporizhia is still on the front line, I mean, in the middle of it. So anything could happen there. The only good news is the reactors have been shut down for several months now, they're quite cooled down, but you have all the high level radioactive waste that, that site has ever generated most of it in indoor wet storage pools, which if they lose their cooling water, they're not even inside radiological containment. So Zelensky had it right back in March when the Russian military first took the plant that they had risked a Chernobyl times six. Only given how much waste is in those pools, it's really more like Chernobyl times dozens or times scores. So we're just uh, living with our breath held, living on borrowed time, praying that the worst doesn't happen at Zaporizhia or Melnitsky or Rivna or Chernobyl. But, you know, just to add to the absurdity, the Ukrainian government itself has just doubled down on nuclear power saying they need to build new ones. So it's a whole new dimension of madness over there, including, you know, the the Ukrainian government wanting to build new reactors in their country. It's insane. So it's beyond insane. 
And, you know, I keep reading all these leftist arguments about Russia and, and Ukraine and NATO and who's really responsible. I mean, the, the number, uh, the, the overwhelming uh, uh, issue uh, that we have to deal with in Ukraine is the six reactors at Zaporizhia, uh, the uh, nine other ones that are licensed to operate, and then the, the corpse of Chernobyl, which could still blow up. It's, it's absolutely insane. Kevin, I, I do hope that, that, that we do have some kind of opening with the NRC here. Uh, and, you know, we have, I got to mention also, um, and I, I, I have to show you my Coca Pelvi uh, t shirt today. Uh, I'll also tell you the good news that it's again raining in Los Angeles, which <laughs> has been so rare, but thank God we've got rain. But uh, there is a trial about to start tomorrow, allegedly in Ohio, that really makes Alice in Wonderland <clears throat> look like, uh, you know, a, a tome of, of, of truth. Uh, the Ohio legislature, and of course, nobody knows more about Davis Bessie than you do, the nuclear plant there, Kevin. <clears throat> the Ohio legislature was literally bought for $61 million. And nobody would have known except a single FBI agent came out and exposed it was a bribe to the Speaker of the House at the time, Larry Householder. And, uh, you know, he is actually being prosecuted. And uh, they started a trial and they had to stop because one of the jurors got COVID. But uh, tomorrow this may resume. And uh, Steve, do you want to talk to us about this from Ohio? Steve Caruso? Yeah, well, it back trials off because some of the uh, jurors had COVID and uh, they're still waiting for test results and updates there. But um, that's about where household, we're still paying in Ohio for House Bill 6. So just because it was stolen and, and bought by the power companies, it still exists. It's still out there as a legal entity, which shouldn't be. I mean, that's, that's what living under fascism is, I guess. The, the state, the ratepayers of the state of Ohio, because of this bill that was bought for $61 million from the Ohio legislature, everybody in Ohio is paying for Davis, Bessie, and Perry. Everybody in California is paying for Diablo Canyon. Everybody, whether you're, you're in their service district or not. And here they screaming and yelling that um, uh, rooftop solar forces people who don't have solar to pay for the grid, which is a ridiculous argument. At the same time, they're forcing me, I live in LA, I'm in the LA DWP, which is a muni, and they, I have to pay for Diablo Canyon, which if it blows up, is gonna wipe out everything. And, and um, you know, they're in Ohio, they have a literal bribe. In California, uh, PG&E gave Gavin Newsom more than $200,000. In, in Ohio, in order to get a billion dollar bailout for their two nuclear plants, they gave the legislature uh, uh, a 61 million. And Steve just flashed, there was a very good discussion of this on Tom Hartman, if you can uh, put the link in the chat uh, from a guy from Ohio discussing this, you couldn't make this stuff up, it's unreal. Kevin, do you wanna say anything else before we move on to Ron Leonard and renewables? Um, just some breaking news from um, Appalachia, from Virginia. Um, Irwin, I'm sorry, Irwin 
Tennessee, nuclear fuel services. Um, Terry Lodge, the attorney, represents Irwin Citizens Action Network. It's a fuel facility for the U.S. nuclear Navy, highly enriched uranium. And they're dabbling in nuclear weapons enrichment uranium now. And just today I was on a call with him and he reported in real time that there was an explosion and casualties and ambulances at nuclear fuel services just today. I don't have any more details, but um, there are these facilities all over the country. They're often having bad days, um, some days worse than others. So there's nuclear disasters in this country and around the world happening all the time. Yes, it's really- You just don't hear about them. Uh, Wendy, did you have Wendy Lederman? Thank you. And thanks, Kevin. It's always great to have you and hear from you. Um, this is just so important. And it's just mind blowing that this conversation isn't happening on a, on a much more alarming kind of scale. I mean, I think the, the doomsday clock just got pushed back to 90 seconds and then people get mad and call you an alarmist if you try to mention that. Um, and in, in that context that you just mentioned, and then with Ukraine, um, you know, something I, I was looking into just kind of going through like the defense budget for um, this year that was just passed. And um, there's another Senate bill, I've mentioned this a few times, Senate Bill 4066 that was introduced and it it allows for the DOE to supply the DOD. And um, even in just, in like, I just feel like that it's just a much bigger um, umbrella problem, like with a lot of um, Biden's proposals for, for green infrastructure, it's a, so many new nuclear programs and so much money for having like minimums like required minimums of depleted uranium like to be pr like produced and um and so just the point i wanted to make i don't know if you have a comment i know we're, we're short on time but um i think the non-proliferation treaty i was looking through it and it, it really like considers nuclear energy a fundamental right and i feel like just the, the non-proliferation should include like our fundamental right to not get blown up, <laughs> you know? And so um, that should just, that should include no, no nuclear period. Like there, like, and, and because it supplies such a small fraction in Florida, we get 3% of our energy. Like Harvey's saying, you guys get 9% in California of your energy coming from nuclear. So it should be a moot point for the risk that it carries. So um, I just want to mention that. Thank you so much. Kevin, did you want to respond real quick and then we'll move on? No, it's an excellent point. I mean, the fatal flaw of the non-proliferation treaty is that it sold the store on nuclear power. So the nuclear weapons states in the world, as treaty signers, are supposed to help the non-weapon states in the world develop their nuclear power programs in exchange for a promise not to develop nuclear weapons programs. And what's so schizophrenic and contradictory about that is if you have uranium enrichment, for nuclear power. If you have plutonium reprocessing from your nuclear power generated high level radioactive waste, you have weapons grade uranium if you want it, and you have weapons grade plutonium if you want it. And in fact, certain countries that now have nuclear weapons use their nuclear power technology to get there. I mean, India is one example, Pakistan's another example. They're not signatories to the treaty, but um, among the signatories, I'd have to think about it some more. Um, there are examples of that. The United States is one of the most hypocritical in the world. I mentioned nuclear fuel services that had the explosion and casualties today in Irwin, Tennessee. They make fuel for the nuclear Navy, which is a delivery mechanism for nuclear weapons. So how that's not considered nuclear weapons, I don't know. But now they're dabbling in highly enriched uranium to be used in nuclear weapons, and they're doing it 
as secretly as they possibly can. That's what Terry Lodge and Irwin Citizens Action Network are challenging. But the courts have ruled against them recently, and everybody's just pretending like there's no nuclear weapons activities going on here. Don't look here. So the U.S. is as guilty as anybody in the world for, for the blurring of, the, of those lines. Um, tritium production at so-called commercial reactors in Tennessee, Watts Bar, that tritium is the hydrogen for hydrogen bombs. That's been going on since Bill Richardson was Clinton's energy secretary. How is that not nuclear weapons related? Of course it is. It's a violation of the non-proliferation treaty. And of course, you know, there are four reactors in Florida, so it's only a matter of time before Ron DeSantis gets his own nuclear weapons. Um, uh, we'll go to Tataka and then Ron Leonard. To, un to underscore what Kevin said, and I feel like a broken record on, on here, but it must be said, the whole reason for developing nuclear power plants is to develop weapons-grade material. It's absolutely necessary for the weapons. The cover story is domestic energy. And we were sold it, too cheap to meter, safe, and now they're telling us it's part of green energy. All a huge lie. It's part of the nuclear weapons program. Essential. Right. Thank you so much. Um, well, we're at that 10 minutes of, of four in California. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll extend this uh, if we can, Steve, just for a bit. Um, uh, I do want to point out that uh, Ron Leonard is, is, is an expert, a major expert in renewables. <laughs> there you go, an electric Cadillac and a, and a nuclear explosion at the same time. Um, we will be again next week, same time. Um, uh, we will take off on President's Day. And after President's Day, we'll have a new link uh, to, to work with. Uh, we, we're getting our own Zoom platform. Uh, but uh, this has been another great discussion. I, I want to point out after two hours, we still have 61 people. Uh, I couldn't have done that at, at Capital University. All my students would have walked out. So it's great to have all of you with us. Uh, go ahead, Ron Leonard, please. I want to ask you, Ron Leonard, uh, as, a, as an expert, on, one of our great experts on renewable energy, I'm hearing the possibility that battery technology might be crossed over from lithium to sodium. It, have you heard anything like that? And because it will be an enormously important breakthrough. Uh, and, and can you tell what update us on the developments in, in renewables? So just to go through the, the whole retinue, you know, you're used to batteries in your car being a piece of lead with uh, surrounding uh, sulfur, not excuse me, sulfur acid to produce electricity. And there are the old AAA batteries that are sort of a carbon rod and uh, a bunch of stuff around it. And now you see lithium batteries that are similar in shape or flat, and uh, they all produce energy from various different forms of chemistry. Uh, the newest chemistry that we want to talk about now that you're mentioning, uh, sulfur, uh, has advantages, and it has the advantage of not having a rare material, lithium, uh, that has to be mined, and also has the advantage of now, because of one company, Solar Store Terra, having a high energy density, but it's a different form of battery. It's not sort of a mix of flowable materials, uh, gooey materials in a battery. It's a flow battery. And a flow battery is different fundamentally in that it basically has a tank of something and a tank of something else and pumps that move the energy back and forth. Well, that in the past has worked really well 
but nobody really commercialized it. And also it required more space than a normal battery. But this company, Store Terra, has come up with a way of making a sulfur flow battery at 250 watts per liter, which is a fairly high energy density battery. And they claim it's gonna work. Good news is there's a lot of these companies with sulfur or other non-toxic toxic flow batteries out there that do work. And unless you have a car or an airplane, it really doesn't matter how big the box is or how heavy it is because it's just sitting there storing energy. The real key to all of this is the round trip efficiency. By that, I mean, when you put energy in and then you take energy back out again, how much energy you do you lose? And the key to lithium iron batteries, they were very efficient in the high 90% efficiency range of taking energy in and sucking energy back out again. And that's the battle that we're facing. Good news is multiple solutions. Some of them work today. Some of them will work better tomorrow. We can go with this. Wow, that's great. That's good to hear. So um, how soon can we expect to stop hearing these people screaming about batteries because of lithium? Well, I, I don't think we really should scream about batteries because of lithium, because lithium can be taken out of the seawater. It is available. It's not so rare that you can't find it. In fact, they've now come up with a place in the United States where they're going to mine lithium. I don't really think we should be mining lithium, but the bottom line being uh, it's available. We can do this. We can use lithium. We can use flow batteries. We can use the new water batteries that are made from seawater, salt, lithium, non-lithium batteries. It all works. It's all fungible. It's cost effective now. And the reason we can say it's cost effective is the $100 watt barrier, which is a key battery barrier to making batteries efficient, has been crossed by Tesla and crossed very efficiently. He's down probably in the $75 range of producing batteries. That's an amazing breakthrough. So everybody's going to reach that battery price and then pick your flavor. Okay, there's one other thing I want to raise. Um, last week, someone um, uh, posited that offshore windmills, windmills in, uh, you know, in the ocean, either stuck into the bottom of the ocean or with floating devices, um, cause vibrations and noise that affect whales. And, and uh, in the last week, I've seen uh, whales have washed up on shore near where uh, windmills are being installed. And that great environmental activist, C Tucker Carlson, who we all know cares so much about uh, the earth, uh, is screaming that this is being caused by windmills. The, so death the of Jersey Trump. windmill story. That's what you're talking about. The New Jersey windmill story. Exactly. Unfortunately, there's no windmills in New Jersey yet offshore. They're only testing sites to put windmills up. So a one plus one is not two unless you have the second one involved in the equation. And this makes no sense. This is a fallacy. It, you know, if you have a fact and you can prove that fact, great. You know, we should we should go with that. But no one has made the connection. And so in your, you do not see a connection between no 
to Wales and There's no windmills off of Jersey to make that thing happen. They don't exist. The only windmills in the Atlantic Ocean are up by Rhode Island. And I haven't heard any windmill deaths from Wales in Rhode Island. Well, there are a lot of windmills in the North Sea. Have they had a ton in the North Sea? Tons. Yeah, so lots of them. Have they had environmental impacts? Anything like uh, the death of whales in the North Sea based well, on? There is an environmental impact citing windmills, and you have to do that for fishing reasons and other things, ground that you're covering. Uh, you know, there are many environmental impacts that you want to consider before citing windmills. But whales, we haven't heard anything about that in the North Sea. And we haven't seen significant environmental impact. I, I haven't read of significant environmental impacts. From well, the, I mean, you do the, want to make sure that if you cite a bunch of windmills, they're not in the path of normal flow of birds going north to south and other things. Those things should all be carefully considered in a permitting process. But whales and windmills, not so much. Okay. All right, I wanted to check. Um, um, uh, Mark Gross, do you have a hand up? Yep, thank you. So let me work, uh, I'll work backwards. We'll start with the windmills. So uh, I just saw a new toro circular toroidal design for propellers and wind turbine blades, which is far, you know, like the decibels or a tiny a fraction of the decibels of a propeller blade. And we have designs for 30 megawatt floating offshore wind turbines. And just the, for the 12 record, to 14 30, 30 megawatt is huge. That's yeah, really the 12 cool. to 14 megawatt wind turbines were based on the guy, the invention of the guy I work with, because Enril saw his gearless wind turbine generator in the American Wind Energy Association conference trade show in 2006 and they copied it then they then they scaled it up from 185 megawatt kilowatts to 12 to 14 megawatts and provided that information to Vestas and GE and the other company Iberdrola I think it is yes. and so we have not only a, a, a gearless wind turbine expansion but we've got blade design changes and we're now going to be looking at that toroidal circular thing that's the one yep that's what i'm talking about um well, that can go so we're interested you know, we we're interested in that and we'll check it out we'll probably the, use it the uh, for both, the for both wind turbines and uh ducted turbofans for aircraft for battery electric aircraft and uh for the wheel motors and other ways of propelling land ground transportation. Now the on the batteries, um, you, you mentioned Sailor. We actually started with saline and progressed through saline and we're now looking at sulfur and thing, but we're not looking at, at flow batteries. We're looking at solid state batteries. And if we can pull that off, um, it'll be good. And we're looking at 10 times the or seven to 10 times the capacity per kilogram of the uh, best batteries today. Um, and the tipping point, I was told about five years ago that the tipping point to go from, from, from hybrid electric aircraft to full battery electric commercial passenger aircraft is 700 watt hours per kilogram. 
Yep. We're aiming for production at 2,600 watt hours per kilogram with a window to get up to four and a half or five and a half kilowatt hours per kilogram in the next several years after that. On the solar front, we are aiming at 42% efficiency, conversion efficiency, printed, inkjet printed, solar thin, fired ceramic, solar thin film, um, which compares to 18 to 23% of solar panels today. And all of, the, all of this at about half the cost. So we'll also have structural breakthroughs and things like that for the wind turbines. Um, and for solar canopies over parking and, and driveways, so we can have enough between those and rooftops, we can have enough surface area with the 42% efficiency to be able to actually power whole fleets of trucks and buses on the parking area and the buildings associated with it that they're on with maybe some extensions up and down streets if necessary. But so we actually have a plan for all of this. And the timing is if we got funded today, six to 12 months to get batteries into uh, alpha production. All right, so we'll see me after this already for our efficiency of the Ron, solar collector. Logo one, Ron wants to say something. The theoretical limit for silicon solar cells of efficiency is 30%. So this is well and above the actual state of the art right. we have today. We're extending, we're extending beyond the yeah. visible spectrum, which the silicon is able to do into the infrared uh, quite a ways. And we're also improving the conversion efficiency. With, with This is not 3.5, but it is multi-junction solar. And uh, in 1983, William got a patent for a fast semiconductor faster than gallium arsenide uh, for a solar thin film that was going to be made on a customs, $400 million customs stainless steel rolling mill. And uh, speaking uh, of extending, so we've got a long history in this. We're past seven o'clock. Some of us have things that we need to do besides be on Zooms all day. This is not the last time we're going to talk about this. So please, yeah, okay. all you experts, please come back. We'll continue this um, okay. as we learn more about it. But people got to eat. People got to sleep. Okay. People got to okay. have bodily functions. We got to get going. Okay, so um, let's give it, um, Dorothy, you'll get the last word. This has been great. Ron and Mark, I hope you guys are in Thank touch. Thank you, Slogo. Thank you, Thank everybody. you very much. So 56 people. Oh, um, thanks, Ron. You know, there's a car called the Zika that's Chinese that now 641 miles per charge. You can just go online and check it out. I don't know what it, you can get the price. I didn't get the price. Also, a while ago, I heard about transparent solar panels. So some something that you could uh, just Dorothy, put on a Dorothy. Okay, let's okay, let's okay. bring that up later. Look, Dorothy, we don't have budget for overtime for the hardworking <laughs> staff here. We do okay, appreciate I'm just contributions. Saying, that, would be incredible. that would be incredible if they kept transparent solar panels. It'd be Thank incredible you, if we got paid for the overtime that we're putting in right now. Sleep is optional. Okay, you guys. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week. Ron and Mark will continue this. It's been great. Um, and uh, we will be back next week. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Steve. And uh, this has gone out. We still have 48 folks with us, but we will... Uh, adjourn and we will re reconvene next week. Thank you, Wendy. Lisa, good to see you. I know um, Hattie has been on from Minnesota. Uh, Ruth, Dr. Ruth, great to see you. Myla, keep up the fight at Pacifica. Please, God knows we need that network. 
And um, uh, we will be back again next week. Thank you, everybody. And no Keep stirring those waters. You're you're a good contribution. Yeah, we'll be right. next back next week unless we go on strike for these uh, overtime <laughs> hours. We're going to unionize. We'll pay you a dollar and a half. Ooh, and only beat us on every other Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> All Thank right, you, everybody, guys. for All another right. marathon.